Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. My name is Ollie Henderson and today's guest is an incredible example of why it's never too late to pivot career. For 30 years, Jeff Kaufman was a journalist. He won an Emmy Award for his coverage of the Arab Spring. And during his career, he traveled to over 50 countries. He lived in South America for 10 years, where he was first on the scene during the Chilean miners' crisis, created a nature documentary on the Galapagos Islands, and he worked in multiple war zones, including during the Iraq War. Then, in 2014, he left his career as a journalist and was wondering what to do next when serendipity took hold and he spotted an opportunity to solve a problem he'd experienced throughout his life as a reporter and which ultimately led to him founding Trint, the technology business for which he is now the CEO. We had a fascinating chat during which we discussed pivoting from a lifelong journalism career to startup founder, spotting opportunities to solve problems you experience yourself, how working in war zones gives you perspective why live TV teaches you not to bluff in business, and the importance of not second-guessing yourself as an entrepreneur. Jeff also explained why telling stories is a valuable life skill, the value of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, and how to find ways to release stress and stay healthy as a startup founder. If you enjoy our conversation, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and to the Future Work Life newsletter. I'll be writing about some of these themes in the coming weeks. But without further ado, let's get into our conversation. I started by asking Jeff what led him to quit his job as a reporter in 2014 and how he came up with the idea for Trent. If you had talked to the 17-year-old me, I, I wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to cover the world. I really loved what I did. The creativity, the challenge, the discovery... The, the compassion, the hope that you can nudge people to, to think a little differently. That's increasingly difficult in today's polarized world. I, I began to get a sense that if I didn't jump candidly, I'd get pushed. I didn't really love the day to day. And and that's partly because as you get older, the familiarity of it, you're less tolerant of. And I think it's a lot of it for me was because what we were being asked to do was different from what I used to do. So So then the question is, what was I going to do? When you're a seasoned journalist, you can teach journalism, you can teach you know, some global affairs, if, depending on your expertise, or you can go and, and be a communications person, a PR person. I started teaching. I started working on a book on, on, on leadership and as I'd witnessed it, which I was excited about, but slightly terrified by and put together an outline, wrote a couple of chapters, got an agent in the US, quite a good, but still had nagging doubts. I I created a global journalism program for one of the big American journalism schools, a, a summer program here in, in, in London, which I loved. It was fun. It was a lot of work. I don't think I want to be a professor. I'd do it again, maybe, but I, I don't want to be a journalism professor for the rest of my career. It was actually because of that teaching that because I was in Miami for ABC News for 10 years, the biggest media foundation in the U.S., two at the time, assets of $2 billion was the Knight Foundation, and it, which is still... And they came out of the remains of a big newspaper chain. The, the family created this foundation when the chain was dissolved, Knight Ritter. And uh, they sponsor innovation in journalism, and, 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 and that a lot of that money goes towards helping media adapt to the new, the, the new, the new world order of uh, multimedia competition, podcasts, blogs, etc., and helping helping those things launch and helping legacy media adapt to create smart conversation. Uh, And one of their people was here and said, oh, you you should come to MozFest. And I said, what's that? And he he said, it's an open source media coding conference held each year in London for innovation. And if you're teaching 21st century journalism, come with me this weekend. Okay. I went down to this conference of a thousand 
coders, developers. So there I was surrounded by all these people with whiteboards and computer screens and kind of this mixture of hipsters and geeks with pocket protectors with pens in them. It was a really funny mix of people. <laughs> and a lot of it, to be honest, it was like, like going to a Congress of Greek studies when you don't speak Greek. You look at code and you, it just it's, it means nothing to you. And, and this friend took me around and showed me some of the innovation projects that the Knight Foundation was sponsoring and some others. And I met some, uh, a, a small team that had done something with audio and text alignment, sort of karaoke, where you could see a mm. word and hear the word at the same time. And that's all they'd done. And it was, and I thought, oh, wow, how did you do that? And they said, well, we created some software. It wasn't, you know, it's not that difficult. And I said, that's interesting. I didn't know that was possible. That's pretty amazing. And literally a light bulb went off in my head. And I said, wait a minute, could you put automatic speech in there, uh, speech to text in there and, and, create a way to correct it because the thing I've always hated most about my job, and this will resonate with you, uh, Ollie, is transcribing interviews like this to find the moments that matter so that I can find in this. When you have a long-winded guy like me and all you need is a 15-second soundbite here and a 21-second soundbite here and you want to find, where did he talk about Libya? Oh, it's somewhere near the middle. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, great. And I, th and I said, well, so couldn't you, could you do that? And I remember this Romanian developer very eccentric, very nice guy, sort of looking at me with a, a smile. He said, interesting idea. I think we could try. <laughs> and I had no business plan. I, this was just plain old reporter's curiosity. Yeah. I, I didn't know you could do audio and text. And I just made the leap because I've lived, I fit into this, I've since discovered this classic definition of a, an entrepreneur who has lived the problem that he's set, he's solved. And I may not be, have done the most, the, the transcripts in, you know, there may be a people, I'm sure there are people who've done more, but I understand the pain of transcription and storytelling in television and radio yeah. and really in print as well as anybody on the planet. Because just as you would as a journalist, just as any journalist would who's done it. But I was the journalist who saw this connection and thought, wow, hmm. I wonder if you could leverage artificial intelligence and technology to liberate me from the pain that, that I feel every time I have to transcribe an interview. Yeah. I mean, when I was little, my mother would make a salad by taking, getting a head of lettuce, tearing it into pieces, putting it in the sink and washing it, and then went spinning it dry. Nobody said, why are you doing that? You know, what a waste of time because that's nobody wants to eat dirty lettuce and have sand in your teeth. And then some genius in California came up with the idea of shredding and washing lettuce and putting it in a plastic bag with an inert, harmless gas that would stop it from turning brown and keep it fresh and charging twice the price of that lettuce unwashed. Yeah. Trent washes the lettuce. I solved a problem we didn't even know we had. Yeah. That's what the lettuce guy did, and that's what Trent did. You mentioned something scary about that moment when you thought, I suppose you'd come to the realization that you were going to have to move on to do something else, but just didn't know what that would be. I'm really interested in the use of that term and particularly how it relates to the fear of starting a business, becoming an entrepreneur, particularly in mind of having been within the work environments that you'd been. Literally, you'd been within war zones, and for me, that would probably be the definition of fear and 
scary. So I wonder, is it just a completely different feeling? Or you know, do you experience fear in a different way to how I might? Is that, are those, are those lived experiences just change your perception about fear? So a couple of thoughts on that in no particular order. One, I never set out to be a war correspondent. I wanted to be a serious journalist and then a war happened and they said, we want you to go. And it never felt, I, I was scared, but I wasn't going to say no. It happened gradually. It just snuck up on me. And then suddenly I became a war correspondent. I care. And I, I, if you really believe in journalism, stories like this, we're talking now, Russia has invaded Ukraine. Uh, those, that is the most important story, maybe the most important story of our lifetime, candidly. And I've got a lot of friends in Kiev and, and other places right now covering. So, yeah, listen, my definition of fear is different. And uh, I have been shot at. I've seen people die and I've seen many horrible things. And I've also seen suffering. People who know me will hear me say our worst day is better than a lot of people's best day. And so, listen, even if this company were to go off the rails, which I'm determined not to let happen, because and it's so far, amazingly, shockingly, hasn't, it's not, I, I'm not going to be homeless. I'm not going to be limbless. I'm not going to be orphaned. I'm not going to be hungry, all of those things. So I think it does give perspective. And so, you know, I, I would say one other thing about fear, though. I am adventurous. I am insatiably curious. And I'm always the person who wants to know, gee, that looks like an interesting road. Let's go there. I think that the thing about starting a business like this is, and I really believe this, that for me, the definition of failure is not trying. And I think that really, you really have to be prepared to fail because most businesses like this will fail. And I don't know what the last chapter of Trent is you know, when I eventually move on from being CEO. Uh, I know what I want it to be and I'm pretty confident I can get it there, but I can't you know, look you in the eye and say it for sure. But so I think being able to take risks and being able to uh, publicly do that, I guess I've always done that to a degree because being a, there's a risk element and a performance element to television this is different. But, you know, I, I, I think also being a, a journalist at that level and being a war correspondent in a weird way, unexpectedly prepared me for the early days of entrepreneurship, um, the, asking a lot of questions, reaching out for help when I didn't know, not bluffing. Being a, a reporter, particularly on TV, you've got to be very careful to make sure that what you say when the, the, the microphone's live, you're absolutely sure. Uh, and so... I, I think that's a lesson that I carry with investors, customers, employees. If you don't know, just say, hey, let me get back yeah. to you, or I'm not sure, or I, I think I know somebody who can help me with that. Research is, is essential to being a journalist, and certainly in the early days of building a company, you need to know how to ask questions, assemble resources, make decisions. And when you're a journalist under deadline, as I was for most of my 30 years, you're constantly making decisions under pressure without all of the information you need, and you have to be able not to second guess yourself. Oh my gosh, do we stop here and start working on the story? Do we get take this picture or will there be a better picture if we go another mile? What's our time to deadline? How much time do we have? You know, what if we get a flat tire, which the day that Libya fell, we got stuck on the desert with a flat and then we hit a rock and the radiator in the car, uh, in, the, in the Jeep broke. Those things happen. I couldn't call New York and say, 
we don't have a story. I just had to do it. So you make snap decisions and, and you live with those the, with that. We, we made it into Tripoli the next day when the walls fell. So uh, we were okay by the hair of our chinny chin chin. So, so this whole fear thing, I just think it's fascinating. Being an entrepreneur, it is so much harder than people realize. It is so easy to say, what an idiot. How could he have done that? And I was a business journalist. I don't think I ever called anybody an idiot, but I think sometimes journalists and, and, and people outside can say, what a greedy businessman. What a fool. You know, why did he do that? Why does he treat people like that? Guilty. Sometimes you step on toes. You didn't even know you were, you, you were going to step on. Sometimes, a lot of times you make decisions. You think, oh my God, facepalm. If I'd known, I would never have done that. It is so hard. There is no right. There is no perfect path. Yeah. Well, but one thing you can do is recognize and tell a story. So I'm really interested how you think about the role of story in the role that Trim plays for your customers. I think it's prominent within the marketing and the way in which you coach people through the platform now. I'm just intrigued by whether that's something very conscious. Completely conscious, because that's my DNA. I didn't go out to, to create an app for ordering taxis or, or, or having food delivery. I have no idea. I'm presuming the people who did those things probably didn't, many of them probably didn't do the, didn't drive a taxi or run a food delivery company either. But in my case, you're absolutely right. The DNA of the company is storytelling. It's content creation. And, and it, it's really working with words. That's the terminology that we, we like to use. And initially, it was just really leveraging AI to make transcripts quickly searchable, verifiable, so you could find the moments in matter, in that matter and move on. Now it's evolved into this collaborative tool. I'm interested about, I suppose, a bit slightly deeper question in that what have you learned about yourself from this process? Because as you described, it is fundamentally different from what you've done for 30 years and I'm just interested whether it's taught you something new and whether you thought that would be something that you could learn at this point of your career it's a very interesting question I a flood of thoughts come to my mind because I would say one of the things on the theme of your podcast is that it's really I really recommend shaking up life even if you love what you're doing there is, it's a risk and it's a luxury. You have to have some security to do it. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm not, I'm aware of that because it is high risk and you may end up you know, flat in your face, but shaking up life and doing something out of your comfort zone professionally really keeps you on edge. It keeps you from get, coasting into, into you know, your, into older, old age and being set in routine. It's you're constantly learning. I think that for me, oh, I've learned so much about obviously about business and technology and, and, and software and, and, and innovation and artificial intelligence and marketing and sales. I didn't know anything about these things. And there's so much and, and, and there continues to be, you know, as the company grows and we face different challenges you know, somebody will say something and I, I go, what's that? And it, maybe it's an HR term or something like that. And I go, never heard it. You know, and it's, there's my new word of the day. And so, so the learnings are huge. I think one of the areas, to be really honest, the biggest areas of learning is being a boss is not what I thought it was. It's really hard. And you can go in with the best of intentions and mess things up. And I have at times. And when you're the CEO, Everything you do is watched and divined, particularly when it's a small company, when it's 10, 20 people and you can sit around the table and know each other. 
it's a much more flat structure just inevitably. And, and that's fun. It's a really fun stage. It's a little overwhelming. You're 14 hours a day, seven days a week. It's, it is that kind of creation stage. Now we're a hundred plus here. There are line managers. There's a leadership team. My sort of chaotic life of just go out and shoot a story doesn't work with a hundred mm. people. You need to put in processes. You need to have communication systems and, and clarity of, of objectives and accountability. It's, that's not so easy. It, it's, and you need to hire people and, and you get it wrong sometimes, or you do things that, that you know, that, that mess stuff up. It, it's really hard being a boss and it's really hard. the best part of this job isn't the product. It's the team. I love yeah. the team and I love building the team. The, the hardest part of this job can be the team. It is managing people is both a total joy and a big pain in the ass. It, it's just true. It, and a small group of people will always challenge you. That's the nature of people though. And it's really hard to learn how to navigate that. But the, the reality is that 95, 98% of your employees are, are just great. And the ones who aren't may, may not be bad people. They just aren't the right fit or don't didn't have the skills that you thought they had. That's going to happen. So it's, it's mm. not about a sort of a personal, you don't want to personalize the, those kind of things. But you do get people expecting stuff, asking for stuff, and feeling entitled to stuff. And, and it's really hard. And people ambitious for, for opportunities that you may not be able to offer them and holding you accountable or being angry at you because you're holding them back. I don't have a job. We're only 30 people. I can't promote you because to what? We don't have money to create a new job because you're ambitious to move in. And those people quite rightly should probably move on. But I, I joke because I probably wasn't the easiest employee at times, if I'm honest and slightly humbled by my behaviors at times in my career, because I was ambitious too. I joke that I should write handwritten letters of apology to every boss I ever had saying I didn't know how hard it was. It yeah. is really hard. It is really hard to run a company. It is really hard to build a company. It is really hard to be a boss and it's really hard to be a good boss. You know, And even if that's, I've said, I want to be the boss I wish I had, but never had. Do I achieve that? I'm sometimes, but no, I don't think I do as much as I wish I could. I try. Uh, but it's really hard. And, you know, uh, we've got a really strong leadership team. I have a coach. I have mentors. You do the best you can. And, and I, I don't think you can beat yourself up about it. I think one of the things about life in general, and certainly about building a company like this is if you tear yourself apart for the I should have and could have in life, you just wouldn't be able to move forward because the number of times I have made mistakes that I regret, what can I tell you? You just have to move forward and live with them. Yeah. You, you touched on something there. The life of a startup founder and now scale-up founder is often one which is certainly in people, many people's eyes defined by long hours and a lot of stress. I think, um, I understand you're a keen cyclist. I, I wonder how you just escape from things because trying to look after your mental, your physical health, your well-being is really important to, to be in it for the long haul, right? How do you go about that? How do you build that into your work life to make sure that you get some perspective and opportunities to reflect? There's no question cycling has been, I, I think I started cycling, long distance road cycling before I started Trent, but there's no, but Trent, it was during, it was in the seven years that I've been running Trent that I became a really passionate cyclist. Last year, 2021, I did over 6,000 kilometers of cycling. 
And it's a passion. It's a healthy addiction. What can I tell Mm. you? I belong to a cycling club in my area, North London. It is Sunday mornings. I'm up at 7, 7.30 to go to meet my whatever group has been arranged for a cycle that's anywhere from 90 to 200 kilometers on a Sunday. So it can be anywhere from that sort of three and a bit hours to a, a very long day. And the odd thing about it is, I'm never bored cycling. And sometimes I'm thinking, I don't want to be here when it's sort of, it's terrible weather or I didn't get enough sleep. But then you, you go through that wall and you just think there's a sense of exhilaration. And because cycling, listen, cycling is dangerous. You've got to be aware of it. We're in pelotons. We're, we're close to each other's wheels. And the one wrong move, it, it, it's not a joke. It really does. I know people who've, who've had horrible outcomes. And so you need to keep be, be focused on where you are in yourself in, at present. You cannot let your mind drift. And the discipline of that is probably a very good antidote to the pressures of running a startup because I don't generally think about work when I'm out there on my own or with the club. I'm focused on cycling. If it's a nice flat road and we're chatting away, you can enjoy the scenery. And when you're riding through the Kent Downs or up in in Essex, it's spectacular. It's really glorious. But it's a great, you do need to have something to escape, some way to balance. And my husband of of many years is involved in the arts. He doesn't have experience in business. And so we tend, I'll tell him about what's going on in the company, but we don't sit around talking about in depth about business. So our personal life is quite different from business. And I think that's a healthy thing too. So we, our social life and our personal life is not a tech life. And I have some tech friends now because I've met some wonderful people Yeah, and I, I see them a bit socially, but in general, I, my life is quite divided, and I think in a healthy way. I think when I, in journalism, I, have, I do have quite a lot of friends who are journalists, as you would expect after 30 years in journalism. But in tech, it's, it's, it is somewhat siloed, in a, but I think in a healthy way. So yeah, you do have to have some work-life balance. You need, do need to keep it in perspective. But I, I really, listen, I, I will say this, in all humility, I'm proud of what I've done because I, no one's more shocked than me that I was able to leave a career that I truly loved, that ticked all of those bucket list boxes that you, I had for you know what I wanted out of my career. I don't know what was on that list, but I can tell you I, I ticked a lot more than were on, you know, on that list. I never thought I'd be in Latin America for 10 years, you know, traveling, being paid to learn Spanish, going to the Galapagos Islands you know, by, on ABC News at a dime. To, to do a documentary on the Galapagos. Who could, what a dream. And yet I don't miss it for a day. Right. I, I, I did it. I'm proud of it. But this is, an, this is interesting. This is a new challenge. It's hard. And I don't know how the story ends, but that's what makes you want to keep going. Well, Jeff, thanks very much. I've used Trent's product. It's excellent. Most uh, interestingly for me has been getting to know your story as well. And I can see your fingerprints on the product as well, which I think is really interesting about a founder story. That's very generous of you. Thank you. A real pleasure. Thanks, Ollie. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. And that was my conversation with Jeff. What a great story. Some really inspirational stuff there. And as I said at the top, (laughs) evidence that you can start a business at whatever stage of life you're at. In fact, it might be that some of those skills that you don't think are that relevant could be the thing that gives you a head start over other people. So thanks again for listening. Next week, we've got another amazing guest. So until then, have a good one.